All right. So welcome back to Love Notes from God. We are on week two. I can still keep track of which week it is. We are on week two of our new series called um, Disciplines of Faith. So what we're doing is we are discussing and looking at some of the things that new Christians especially ask. Why do we do this? Who says I have to do this? You know, is this just a church thing, a church, particular church's rule, or is this what the Bible says? So we're going to go through and talk about this. Last week, we talked about um, why do we attend church. Tonight, we're going to talk about baptism. And the reason that I chose baptism for tonight's is um, those who are connected to the Mount Vale community um, know that we are having a baptismal service directly after our Sunday worship service. We do that at the last Sunday of every month. So I thought it would be pertinent and I'm going to try to go ahead and get it uploaded tomorrow so that those who may have some questions um, have another resource to look at it. But what do you know about baptism? Because everybody comes from a different background. So that's where we're going to kind of start with. <laughs> we, what what is baptism to me it's finally like accepting uh the lord into your heart but also accepting a faith your faith in um i've never really understood like the water dipping in i don't think you know okay i do know that i was baptized and i the day that i accepted and let people know that I have full faith in my words. Okay, that's a good answer. Good basic answer. Water baptism to me is, and I can maybe explain the water thing a little bit better. Mm. Okay, you get into that. <laughs> but it's water baptism. Water baptism to me is washing your sins away, and oh. um, and so. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, yeah. and I actually was able to get baptized in the River Jordan, the same river that Jesus was baptized in, which was a uh, really cool experience. All right. Debbie, you got an opinion on what water baptism is? It's pretty much what they're saying, but I had a thought tonight on the way here. That, um, because I knew you were going to ask the question. <laughs> that, you know me so well. I was to go get baptized now. I think I would have had to add to speaking the face of Oh, because yeah. I am a child of God. Mm -hmm. And when I do this, once again, I'm proving that I am a child of God. You got to get your hands off. I like it. That's, that's I like that. All right. So you're going to find that we do a lot of talking about um, the way she said it, phrased it now, stick it to the devil. Yeah. But we are in victory. That's what salvation is. It's a victory. Right. We, we know, even though we may struggle and we may have battles throughout our lives, we know that ultimately who wins the war? Who is the victor in the end? We are after this. So, you know, and I know it's a secular song, but I like to walk around and say, we are the champions. That's the way I feel sometimes when the devil's attacking me, that song comes into my head because you know what? We are, those of us of faith are the champions, but I wanted to talk about water baptism because people who come into the church 
any church that have been never stepped foot in a church or they've been other faiths or whatever, they don't understand baptism. Um, we know that, for example, the Catholic faith baptizes during their christening, right? But did you know the Catholic faith actually has three types of baptism? I did a little bit digger. I knew this like in the back of my head, but I, I did some for babies. Yeah, I know that. But after that, okay. So I do. I did end up printing out this little kind of basic synopsis so that I could make sure that I shared it correctly. Um, or did I not? Yeah. Okay. I was like, did I not print out the right thing? Okay. So in the bab in the Catholic Church, they have three forms of baptism. They are um, immersion, which is what we're we are familiar with. I didn't realize Catholics still did immersion. That's where you actually go dip, uh, dip under the water, the dipping. They do um, pouring, where they pour the water over, and that's often what we see. Depending on the on the christening, you often will see that in the christening. Yeah, you know, they'll pour it over the baby's head. Um, and the Greek Orthodox does, has very similar views here as the Catholic Church. So if you guys remember um, that scene in my big fat Greek wedding where her fiance is becoming part of the church and he's in this giant baby pool and they're picking up buckets of water and pouring it over his head. They were still practicing this pouring baptism. It was a baptism. It looks silly. They played up the comedic effect for the movie. But what do you do? You know, that's the way we think about baptism for adults. I mean, for Catholic churches or Greek Orthodox churches. Um, and then the last is sprinkling, which is, it's got a fancy name. Right. It's called aspersion. What, is that where they do the, the, the only one? Where they, well, yeah, they'll like dot it, but then they'll like yeah. flick it on you. Or um, they'll have this little wand type thing and they're like, shh, 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 and you're like, are they going to hit that baby? But they're sprinkling water over. Okay. I think that they pray on the water. They pray over the water. Mm -hmm. um, bless the water, like as it, you know, and then when they bless the baby. Okay. So the Catholic Church, this this explains something. The reason that we don't really see them sprinkling anymore is because while it is a valid, they believe it is a legitimate form of baptism. It is not permitted to be done in the Catholic Church at this point. I don't know. I don't know all the theology. I don't understand that. But that was I and I researched several places on the Internet to kind of double check myself and see. And they all say that it is not considered a permitted form. They consider it valid. They believe that it's theologically sound, but it's not something that they do. But we see that in movies all the time. So maybe I don't. maybe that's why they present that in movies is because it's not one they do. I don't know. Um, and then the other immersion and actually pouring, which is what we see in christenings, is what they are permitted to do. They are other valid things that they're permitted to do. So baptism, and they will argue that baptism, that the scriptures do not mean to immerse only. We, our faith would argue that it does mean immersion. 
So it, it becomes a big debate based on Greek words and translations and did this person scribe, write it down right? Here's the important thing. Baptism is something that we are commanded to do as Christians. So I think we all agree to that. Um, the Catholics use the immersion more for adults for more of a, they are um, a deeper walk, a more intense walk, whereas that christening is they believe that because the baby is born into sin, that it has to be baptized so that it will washes away that sin of being born into a sinful world. What we believe is, and, and Charles Spurgeon has a great quote on this that I did not write down, but he has a great quote on this about that, how glorious it must be of all of the angel babies, basically, that are in heaven, because we do not, we believe that until they reach an age of spiritual awareness, that God's not going to hold them accountable for the sins that are bestowed upon them by being born into a sinful world. So, so when people ask you, you know, if you know someone who is of the Catholic faith and they have a child who's born or they have a child that they don't believe is going to last much longer at past birth, they will have the priest there at the hospital when they're giving birth so that that child can be baptized immediately because they believe that's the only way for them to have salvation at that age. We believe on the other hand that God is holding that child and keeping that child until they become of an age to be accountable for their own actions. Now, before I get into water baptism, let's talk about accountability. <laughs> Because these are questions that come up when we start going into baptism. Um, Dave and I have pastored. Larry and her husband were pastors for years as well. And Larry and her husband. Debbie and her husband, Larry. <laughs> I was like, did anybody catch what I said? Um, <laughs> Debbie and her husband, Larry, um, pastored for years. But so... We have all encountered a time when we have a young child wants to be baptized or a parent wants their child to be baptized. And we sit down and basically interview this child to know if they understand what's going on, to determine if they're just repeating verbatim what mom and dad have said and they're just answering the right, giving the right answers or not, or whether it's truly a from the heart conversion thing. So we use this term, and I just want to address this real quick, because we're going to hear that a lot. It comes up when we talk about communion and taking communion. It comes up with um, other aspects of, well, foot washing. We talked about, we're going to talk about that. We want to know that, the, that if children are involved, that they truly understand it. We, an age of accountability, which is a fancy way of saying the time when a child is mature enough and understands enough to that there are consequences, that they know right from wrong, they know good from evil. Realistically, in Bible times, Jewish culture, it was age 13, because that's when they became adults. They would go through their bar mitzvah, their bat mitzvahs, and they would become adults. And, and when they became adults, they now were accountable for their own sins, whereas up until that point, they believed that the parents were accountable for their sins. And they would go to, you know, 
the head of the household would go to the temple and offer sacrifices to absolve the sins of his household. But once you became an adult, you were responsible for yourself and then any of that became part of your household. So, so we often think, 13, um, somewhere along the lines, where it was, somebody had said age 12, because that's when they start studying. Um, in the Catholic Church, confirmation comes a little bit earlier than that, but it's, it's, I think it's about age 12 is when they do confirmation. Um, and so that, that's kind of their age of accountability. And then after that, you're supposed to start after you go through the confirmation classes and um, or go through catechism classes and go through your confirmation ceremony, basically. It's a service before mass. They um, then you're supposed to be able to go to confess, confession yourself and that kind of stuff, because now you're responsible for yourself. We have this weird rule in the church. God, I'm just throwing the ages out there. We are part of the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee, our churches, um, and in membership of the church. That varies by local congregation, but when we go to our General Assembly, which is our international big conference, any member of the Church of God age 16 and older is eligible to vote in this conference. Okay, so they... While they don't do that for salvation, they do have this age of like maturity and stuff that they recognize. So that makes sense because I can I can hear and speak from experience. Raised in a primitive Baptist church, it was very um, you know, Old Testament. Well, they we don't they didn't believe in uh, Sunday schools instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, coming from. I wasn't questioning baptism, but I can see where there is actually the age maturity thing because as a child, I remember, you know, I wasn't ready for it. And I didn't go up there until I was, but as a child, watching everybody do it, oh, it you so want to do fun, it, yeah. I still didn't understand why they were doing it. It was like, oh, they're getting a handshake and a kiss, and oh my gosh, they're getting dumped in the water. That looks fun, you especially when you're down at the riverside and it's a 95 degree day. They're like, but when you say that, like, I can fully understand that because when I was a child, like, I didn't get baptized until I was ready mm -hmm. or I believed I was ready, but I was sitting there watching all these little kids go up there and like, do they actually understand the meaning and what they're doing it for? Or was it an attention thing? So, and there is so some I of that. I understand that because okay. it's like being, um, having a preacher, an adult preacher and trying to learn a Bible as a child is very hard. You don't have a teacher or somebody, somebody for a, uh, a little youth mm -hmm. group. We didn't have none of that. So we're sitting there listening to, which I don't degrade or anything. These are my, my, my uncles and my, mm -hmm. my grandfathers, but it's very hard for a child to understand the preaching of a Bible as in, in an adult way. Yep. I don't under I could never even fully start to begin to learn the Bible until I was older. She's speaking to the children's pastors, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, I can't been there. I can't see her and I understood anything out of my Bible unless I was taught I taught, you know, I, I listened and went to different churches and learned in different ways because right, one way is very hard. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't one minded, one way minded. I wanted to learn. 
and, and maybe from the different ways that people learn the Bible, because I went to a by Sunday school. Okay. So I can understand that completely because as a child, you're not, so, and, it's and, hard to understand what's going on. And from your experience, from your yeah. point of view, you can see that maybe a church that has programs geared towards the children and teaching it at their level, they might be ready for baptism at a younger age than someone who is. That's trying to learn a huge book that don't understand what's going on in an adult, in an older adult, preaching the way they were born. And did they pretty much always use King James? Yeah, it was very hard. Very old, so, very okay. See, because King James... Is, very is Shakespearean English. It, it is. is considered to be an 11th grade reading level, and, and we put it in children's hands and expect them to understand it. And all the words, I had no idea what they even meant until I got older and was able to understand their different versions, not mm -hmm. different ways it's written, but there's different ways you can You can read it, right. In the Bible. And, and that is that all comes into this kind of idea of age accountability. Yeah. And, I'm sorry, I understand. No, and from where, from my study, and I kind of was racking my brains and I don't have everything unpacked at the house yet. So I was looking for resources that must still be in the storage unit. But I, from what I, re, I, I, what I remember is this idea of age of accountability came out of and we would call it the Anabaptist movement. That doesn't, it's not Baptist like what we know now, but they were more just like a holiness type movement. And that's where um, Pentecostalism, Wesleyanism, um, a lot of that came out of, down through the generations, obviously, but it came out of their kind of teachings in that um, we, we call, they called it a believer's baptism. So it wasn't when you were baptized, when you were born to wash away those sins uh, that is a put upon you. And then that means you're saved for your entire life. But instead it was that you come to this age of understanding, whatever that age may be. And it differs. It absolutely differs. It's different for everybody. We, you know, and in our own children, we had, Okay, they're preacher's kids. They went to the altar every time the altar was open because that's what you were supposed to do. But but we had one who at age five completely understood what salvation was. And then we had one who didn't really truly understand until eight or nine. And, you know, and that, that that's Audrey. She just truly didn't understand it. And then we've even had a recent conversation where she wanted to rededicate her life because she wasn't sure. And that's a maturity thing. That varies depending on the child. Also, if you have a child who has a learning disability, their heart might be pure as gold, right, right. but they may not, they're not going to understand always what things that we have adults who don't truly understand because of those types of things. Um, but we fully believe, we believe in a believer's baptism, when you come to this age of accountability, this age of understanding, that you become aware of what you're doing. And we believe that it's a testimony to the world that look what God did in my heart. You know, in the Old Testament, he says he'll take out that heart of stone and he will give us a heart of flesh. That's a beautiful way to think about salvation. 
but the imagery, and I'm going to read some of the, give you the scriptures of why we believe in, in immersion, why we believe we dunk them, basically. <laughs> um, but that imagery, the water is washing away the sin. But when you go down, you're dying to your old life. And when you come up, it's like you're being resurrected as a new person. It is symbolic of Christ dying and resurrecting for our sins. There is a lot of symbolism there. It is like Debbie said earlier, it's a look at me, devil. I'm, I'm, I'm winning. It's a stick it to the devil moment. It's a victory moment for your life, especially. And we've witnessed several of these in the past six months at church, people who have come back to God as adults who have, who may have been saved as children, but were lost, but they strayed away and they come back and they get saved again. And this time they are on fire and they're excited. And when they're coming out of that water, they're shooting up out of that water. They're whooping and hollering. And they're so excited because the spirit is upon them. And that is another thing. Um, I want to look at the baptism of Jesus in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, and we're going to start with verse nine. And I want us to look there and, and understand we, um, we also believe that you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is mentioned specifically in um, Matthew. Let me make sure I look here at my notes. I get those right. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It specifically says, go ye therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, depending on which version you're reading. But here is this imagery. I'm big on this imagery. I like that God paints us pictures and things. And this imagery of who, of Jesus' baptism gives us more of that. Why is it Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? So we're going to read here, starting verse 9. And I'm going to go through verse 11. Is it chapter? Chapter 1. Chapter 1. And I'm going to start on verse 9. No, you're good. I probably said it wrong. Like I said, Larry and her husband. Okay. Mm -mm, mm -mm. All right. So Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm actually reading... Charlotte and Alex, I'm reading out of the New American Standard version. So if it's a little different than what you have, just so you know. All right. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, that's one reason we believe in immersion, is we believe that Jesus was immersed. He saw the heavens opening up and the spirit like a dove ascending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son and you, I am well pleased. In this baptism moment, we have Jesus, the son of God. It says the spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. So I don't know if there was a shape in the clouds above him, I don't know if there was a physical dove that landed on it, but there was something that they saw this imagery of a dove. That Mark saw this imagery of a dove, whether it was a physical dove or just something he saw in the spirit. And then the father's voice 
is coming out of heaven. This is one of our examples, and we'll get to that in another time, why we believe in the Trinity, why we believe that God is three people, but yet one person. Yeah. It's because of this moment here. When Jesus is here, as, as I, I use the term loosely, but God-man, he is God incarnate. He is here on earth in human flesh. The spirit descends upon him, but yet God is speaking over him at the same time. So that imagery is a beautiful picture of, of not just the Trinity, but of why we baptize and why we go immersed. Why does, why do we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Besides the fact that if we go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, which is literally in my Bible, it's the page before <laughs> it's on the same page. Yeah. Um, well, and I keep forgetting my reading glasses. I think I might have some in my purse. But verse 19 says, go therefore and make disciples all the nation of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. That is Jesus directs orders to us. I mean, those are his instructions in um, he tells us that we have all authority over heaven and earth. So I want you to go out and you're going to make disciples, but then you're going to baptize them. So here's another question. It says that we're to make disciples first of them. Often we have people who get saved and we instantly baptize them. But this verse says, go ye therefore and make disciples. This is where, okay, I think, Catholics kind of get this right because they do the catechism and they teach their children. And then when they go through their confirmation, which is where kind of our idea of this age of accountability, when we get baptized, they know what they believe. They are disciples of the Catholic faith at that point. And I really believe that sometimes in our uh, Protestant churches and our evangelical churches, we lose sight of that, that we are supposed to disciple them. We are supposed to have plugged them in as new Christians and begin to teach them. It doesn't mean that they are going to know everything. It could be that they have a one class where they're going through and they're instructed like this on what baptism means. But we are to make them disciples. We're to instill in them this idea that you have to keep learning, that you're followers of Christ, but you're going to keep learning. That's what a disciple is. It's a follower who keeps learning. The disciples never stopped learning. Even after Jesus ascended into heaven, they continued to learn from him. That's what a disciple is. So if we go to make disciples and then we baptize them. So what do we do? We should be instructing people. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go to John chapter three. I'm skipping around here. We're just going to look at these scriptures that we talk about baptism in. John chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 23.
And it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. So Jesus was baptizing. John was also baptizing in Enon near, can't see it, Salem, because there was much water there, and the people were coming and were being baptized. Now, I want to make a point here. It says there was much water there. Why do we need much water to baptize if we're just sprinkling or pouring? We need much water so that we can immerse them, wash away. Um, I remember when I got baptized and my dad was a pastor and I probably should have been baptized before I was, but we didn't have a baptistry in the church. So um, when he stepped down from pastoring and we were attending another church, that first baptism service, I went ahead and got baptized. Okay, we're talking early 90s. Yeah. Okay. So we're early 90s. Let's think about hairstyles in the early 90s. It was a big bang. So if you touch them, they did not move. They were hard as a rock. We tease them, tease them, tease them. We use an entire can of hairspray. Okay. So I am probably, well, we went there when I was in eighth grade. So it would have been early 90. So I was 13. 13, not quite 14. But I was already probably six inches taller than my pastor. So he's baptizing me. And he didn't, most of the time now when you see people, baptize, pastors baptizing, there's someone else there helping them. He was alone. There was somebody there holding the microphone, you know, across so that it wouldn't fall into the water. But he did it alone. So he baptized me, dunked me, lifted me up. Okay, this part was still dry. He did not get this part of my head. So I walked out. I had drops of water that had splashed. But, and they teased me forever that I was not fully immersed. And so I did not really get baptized. And they did it because they knew I could handle it. But, so I just, I remember that. That big 80s, late 80s, early 90s. So, <laughs> all right. So, but we, why do we need much water to immerse? We don't need much water just so we can scoop up a handful of water and trickle down. Now, I want to make a caveat here. I want to say, when you're in a nursing home or in a hospital or hospice care and someone has got saved and they want to be baptized before they die, if they are not physically able to get up and get in a pool of water, or if that's detrimental to their health, sprinkle them, pour water on them. God, God understands that it's the heart. It's the heart. But if you are fully healthy, if you are able to get in that tub of water, I just believe that that's what baptism is. I will say, I'm just going to say it out there. Dave and I have had dreams of baptizing out in this cove or in this pool out here. 
Yeah. Right now, Cove doesn't have lots of water. It will this summer. <laughs> so, you know, not that pond, though. We're not doing the pond. <laughs> we're, going, we're going to the actual lake, not the pond. Yeah. Um, but, but we're waiting. It's like we need much water. The pool's not filled yet. The the cove is not filled yet. If we were needing to baptize somebody right now, right now, tonight, we'd probably be pouring bottles of water all over their heads. I mean, that's just where we're at. Well, that's true. We could go down to the... It is very pretty. So the reason that we go and a lot of people prefer to be baptized in a river specifically versus a pond is because the Bible talks about living water and living water is moving water. It's flowing water. And so, yes, the Jordan was flowing water. But here, this is an example of where we don't know what kind of water it was. So I'm going to go to Acts chapter eight and we're going to talk about the... um, we're going to talk about the eunuch on the way to Macedonia. Mac, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And what if you know anything about this story, a little backstory, it's the Ethiopian. And Philip is the spirit of the Lord tells Philip to go, I said Macedonia, it's an Ethiopian, um, tells Philip to go a special way on the road. And then he sees this chariot up and the spirit says, run up and catch up to him. And when he gets up there, there's this eunuch who is a servant who has been assigned special jobs within the castle that is reading scripture and reading about Jesus and the Messiah. He's reading about the Messiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you read? Did you understand what you read? And he, he asked some questions and clarified. And then in verse 36, it says, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Okay, we don't know what kind of water. Was it a well? Was it a cattle trough? Was it 
a river? We don't know. But he says, and Philip said, if you believe with your heart, with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. This is the reason that we, we push for people to confess. We ask them, why are you getting baptized? It's this testimony that I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe, I believe. You're telling the world, I believe. And then, and he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. So it must've been pretty deep because they went into the water and Philip as well, Philip as well as the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch was no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. So here's the thing. Philip gives us some examples of why, this is why our pastors and our ministers do these things. They will ask you, do you believe in Jesus? And they might list some things like that he was born of a virgin and that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and that he's preparing a place for you. They might recite those things. They might ask you to say, why are you doing this? Um, that's what our pastor tends to do. He tends to ask them, why are you there? Why are you in this pool of water right now? Um, but Philip gives us this example of teaching, making sure that they understand. He made sure, do you understand what you're reading? Well, no, I've got these questions. And so he asked him questions and Peter clarified. And then the, the eunuch saw, and he said, Hey, can I be baptized? There's some water. Can we be baptized? And Philip asked him, well, do you believe? And he testifies, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And then he's baptized. And it says he went away rejoicing. When we get baptized, not everybody reacts the same way, but there should be a spiritual thing that is happening within us that we know, whether it's stick it to you, devil. I'm Debbie. I'm stuck on that now. Stick it to you, devil. Or whether it's I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. There is something inside of us that should be lighter. That should be rejoicing. Because we have celebrated. The spirit comes upon us. We know the spirit came upon Jesus when he was baptized. We fully believe that the spirit comes upon you. That is a spiritual thing that happens in that water. It's not, it is a physical act, but it means so much more. So I told you it was shorter. <laughs> Do we have questions, comments? That makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Did, did I? Did were you able to follow? No, but I, I completely understand. I know that is. I was wondering about why they uh, they do baptism at birth compared to years later, when okay. you know if you actually sin mm -hmm. and washing it away. I answered that question. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of it, it makes sense because when you're older, you know what's right, what's mm -hmm. wrong. Your choice is what's right, what's wrong. Because now, nope. like I told him, like I when I'm down or I feel like I'm having a bad day, I pray. Mm -hmm. I pray because no matter what takes me five ten minutes to pray, I know that my faith in God is is stronger and I know that he will get me through mm -hmm. whatever process I'm going through and, and I don't have to 
I don't feel like I have to justify that. I, I know how strong my faith is and praying for him and when he struggled. I know that when I was younger, I wasn't taught. I couldn't comprehend the way I can comprehend that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't uh, comprehend the Bible the way they were reading it to me because of the these, the thou, thou art, you know, everything thrown in a little kid like that. But as I got older, I went into different churches. I went to different people. I even went to my grandfather separately so he could teach me at 11. Mm -hmm. So I do. I know that wherever you are, as long as your faith is strong, that you're okay, fully okay, and we'll, we'll get through it. Well, see, Charlotte, uh, also, there's a lot of people that end up Rebaptizing, like they like got kind of baptized as a small child, they didn't really understand the thing. I can, I can sit, sit here and tell you, I didn't. I thought that being up until probably about five years ago, I thought being baptized and saved were the same thing. That is a common thing I in some that. Baptist traditions and in the Church of Christ. I had my best friend in high school's Church of Christ, I and when her fiance died, she she struggled because he hadn't been baptized. Well, I would sit there and you know I started to kind of look back on everything, and and I did. I broke down. It was some of the one of the hardest times in my life, and you know just listening to somebody minister and they said if you are truly, if you want to truly accept God in your life, mm -hmm. you know. Pray to him and ask him to be in your heart and into your life. And I did. I had to. Because, and after I did, I realized, like, I'm okay. There was so much calmness that came over me. And I was sitting there and telling him, I'm his heart to say that you, you fully prayed and asked for guidance. You, you're going to be okay. Like, we're going to be okay. I can't sit here and say that I used to do that. No, because like you said, I lost my faith for a lot of years, probably four or five years. Mm -hmm. And it took me again at the bottom, the bottom, bottom off to reach out and understand and, and, and ask God to lead me in the right direction, not the direction I was going because it was not working out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was dying from the direction I was coming from. Right. So to have a spiritual awakening from the way I did, and to hear God tell me, you're done, you're good, you're going to be okay. Not many people believe in that, but it, I feel like I have the spirit of God in me, and that's why I heard it. Because I was I was praying, like, why am I still here? Why am I still wanting? God's going to have a purpose for me. And I asked, you know, I was begging him to, like, take me. And I woke up, and what? You know, like, mm -hmm. why am I like, and then, like I said, that's what I realized. That is not on my tongue to end what I feel is my worth of pain. Mm -hmm. I have to accept that it's on his time. And no matter how many times I try or what goes on, it's on his time. And I, I just have to, to live every day and be grateful because I know my life after this is eternal. So whatever I go through here, I'm done. It's done and I'm good. Going to where I have to go, but well, you know, just uh, going back to our accident, you know, I fully believe that the devil tried to take us out. Oh, well, yeah, you know, but God's saying, you know what, 
you know, and all this kind of stuff. We like to just kind of hack things out yeah. and, uh, you know, and encourage people to kind of open up because if you don't tell us what you, what you want us to help you pray for, we don't know. So, let me make one more point on this. <laughs> Dave, let me make one more point on this. Um, Alex, you had said the, the, about the infant baptism, like at birth versus one thing you will see in most churches that believe in later believers baptism still want to dedicate their children at birth. So they will still have a similar ceremony, but it does not include baptism. So I I just wanted to well, that kind of first, but for the past four or five years I've been wanting to do it myself. But honestly saying that hasn't been the right time. Well I'm still waiting for the You're waiting for the right time. It it could be Sunday. We got a baptism schedule Sunday. Yeah, well, we can we, we, my birthday is I'm not trying to say like well, we got to go all the way to Georgia. So where did you take the thing, Cleveland? No, Perfect. no. Our church is right here in Jefferson City. It's like it's like minutes away. Well, then we may be able to, because we're going tomorrow morning, and it's got to be Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to get it. Okay. We will make sure you have that information. Yeah. All right. I am going to, Debbie, will you pray us out here on the video? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the we have not worked the importance of being baptized father and mother. And we ask you, God, to speak to those who are listening to the podcast as well as you've spoken to us here that, Lord Jesus, as we acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior and that you are first in our life, that we, yes, we can step out and we can be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, it's safe that you would be here. Amen. Amen.